0: Merry Christmas, fellow fabricators, (laughs) stone shop owners from across the fruited plain. This is the Fab Lab Podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Crowley, tuning in with you for episode 156, the five best gifts for stone workers, also known as your employees, fellow fabricators, stone shop owners. We're going to talk today about five gifts you can give your employees. Just to take a moment away from the storm prep, you know, preparing for an economic storm. Take a step back from the safety focus that we've had in recent episodes and just talk about gifts that you can give your employees. You know, the fact is, is if we didn't have employees, we would really be, you know, sole proprietors. And And the fact is, the reality is being a sole proprietor, being a single, <laughs> solitary stone shop owner uh, is kind of impossible. At, at some point along the process, someone's got to drive the forklift to unload the slab somebody's got to help you move those pieces around somebody's got to help load the install rig somebody's got to help you get those things onto the cabinets you know at some point we got to have help and so in this episode i think it is worth our time to put the focus on our employees and just consider five gifts that we can give to them to have powerful i'm not talking about money i'm not talking about actual gifts going to the store gift cards nothing like that these are just five gifts you can give these will have far more far-reaching impacts on your employees than any, any monetary gift, any material gift you could ever give them. And so not in necessarily any particular order. They're not to, in order of priority by any means, but just these are five thoughts that crossed my mind as I was just thinking, how do you boil this down? How do we turn the focus onto the folks that make our businesses possible? And so we're going to talk about appreciation. Pretty straightforward. We're going to talk about trust. We're going to talk about side work. Ooh, that's a fun one. I think I did a Christmas episode two, three, four years ago on side work we're going to talk about vision, mission, and values, and lastly we're going to talk about a healthy and safe work environment and so you know like i said if if our employees you know if it wasn't for our employees, we wouldn't have a business we wouldn't have a company we couldn't you know if there's no employees to lead, we wouldn't have the opportunity to you know learn leadership or management skills, and so we just need to pause and, and, and take the opportunity to consider the contribution that our employees make to our businesses, to our customers, to our futures as owners, and, uh, and, and return the favor, if you will. So let's talk about appreciation. Just think for a minute. Think of the next day that your company is going to be operating, whatever day that might be, the day after Christmas, a couple days after Christmas, whatever it is. Just imagine if one, two, three, or your whole entire crew didn't show up. What kind of impact would that have on the business? It would probably be catastrophic, even if it was just for one day. What if one of your key managers, even just for the first half of the day, didn't show up? It would be felt. It would be massively felt in the business and the company's ability to profitably keep the customer, you know, the promise made to the customer. And so, I think it's easy sometimes because it is so stressful, and there, there's so much risk, and there is so much writing on managing and leading and guiding employees to that end of keeping the promise made to the customer that we can kind of forget that it, appreciation is due. You know, this employees are not slaves; they are not obligated. There is nothing written in the stars that says that, uh, that they have to come in and work for us or that they have to bow down and you know grovel at our feet simply because we've given them a job in an industry that's really tough, somewhat dangerous, and in a lot of ways, not a ton of upward mobility or wage growth potential. And so I think it is good to turn the focus back on the employees and just express appreciation. It's a tough job. I don't care if you're moving material, cutting, programming, templating, fabricating, installing, demoing, doing repair work, customer service, all that stuff. There are so many difficult aspects to the work that we do. And those employees that are out there doing it day in, day out, showing up, showing up, showing up and doing it. You know what? What would the impact be if if they heard from us? I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. So would you stop and just pause for a moment and imagine what would your business be like without your employees? What if they didn't show up tomorrow? And then look for an opportunity. There are, there are just endless opportunities to express specific reasons that you appreciate your employees. Now, not all your employees probably show up on time. Perhaps some of them do and some of them don't. So for the ones that do, hey, Joe, I just appreciate the fact that you show up on time Every day. You might want to mention that in front of the guys that don't show up on time every day. How about the guy? You know there's this guy. He never misses a day of work. He's always there. He's the most dependable guy on your crew. You absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt when the chips are down, he's going to be there. Other folks, you may not be able to appreciate them for that. But if you got that guy in your crew, yo, Bob, I just want you to know how much I appreciate the fact that you always show up. How about the guy that can always pull off the wizardry? He can always figure out how to salvage the job. The customer's torqued off. There's something that didn't go well. Somehow you can send that guy to the job site, and he can somehow figure it out. Mixes the perfect glue color, does the perfect repair, is able to soothe the customer. Have you told that guy how much you appreciate him? Obviously, there's gals that are going to contribute as well. In the same way, the people in the office that are taking those calls, that are closing those sales, that are collecting those checks, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your effort. If it wasn't for you Greece, and the skids, you know, the work couldn't get done. So number one, the gift of appreciation. You, you know, we can show it. You can give bonuses. You can do parties. You can do rewards. You can make ex- incentives where people can earn a little bit more money. But there is nothing that can possibly replace the face-to-face, look them in the eye, and a genuine, heartfelt statement of appreciation. So that's number one. Number two, trust. Oh my gosh, the power of entrusting critical tasks or important work to your employees, that in and of itself says so much to them about your belief in what they're capable of. It satisfies a deep, deep, deep human need. And one of the thoughts that came to mind as I was thinking about this was the story of Nathaniel Bowditch. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the historical weeds here, but he was a um, a young man just after the Revolutionary War dirt poor up in New England. I think it was Massachusetts. His parents actually apprenticed him out at age 12. They couldn't afford to feed him. So he went to work in a chandlery. In fact, this is the book that sparked this whole sailing like obsession with me four or five years ago. But I digress. So he went on to become one of the greatest celestial navigators in the history of you know the Navy uh, of sailing of being at sea and basically tracking movement and finding your location on the ocean based on the stars and they would use a device called a sextant and they could they had all these calculations where they could measure where the stars were where the sun was depending on how they were they were doing this navigation, and they could plot their course they could determine where they're at and, and hopefully avoid you know winding up on the rocks or on shore and so this man Nathaniel Bowditch, over the years he became a sailor. And he believed he became a captain eventually. And, and along the way, he began to teach. He learned how to do celestial navigation. And he began to teach these seamen. Now, these, these sailors were considered the lowest of the low-class human beings, scum of the earth, guys that would go to sea. They had, some of them were, like, forced into it, conscripted into it. And, and the view of society was very, very low for these sailors. They didn't think they were capable of anything. Well, Nathaniel Bowditch began just simply to keep them occupied, just simply to give them something to do while they were at sea. He began to teach sailors on his ships how to do celestial navigation. Now, that had been withheld. That had been really exclusively retained for the officers of the ship. It was believed that only a certain, you know, uh, a mind was capable of learning that skill and that there, it was a complete waste of time to try and teach anybody else. Well, he began to teach these sailors something that everybody else bl- thought or believed was completely impossible. And it completely transformed the ship. Now, two things happened here. The environment on the ship became much safer because instead of having all these sailors that nobody trusted, and they, they, they just ruled them with an iron fist, it was absolutely brutal. The conditions that these sailors suffered under sailing these ships. Well, he we began to teach them, and it changed. Instead of having these unruly, violent dudes, you know, that were at risk of mutiny, he began to teach them. He entrusted to them this skill and this knowledge and this ability and the story of how many of those lowly seamen, those lowly sailors that went on to become captains of ships because of Nathaniel Badritch. Now, the U.S. Navy to this day, I think it's called the American Practical Navigator. It's over 200—I I've see it right there on my bookshelf— the U.S. Navy still uses the book he wrote, the navigational principles that Nathaniel Bowditch wrote like 250 years ago. They still are in use to this day. And he transformed the Navy because he entrusted to those lowly sailors the skill and the, the ability and his belief that they were capable of learning how to do celestial navigation. The same thing is true in your company. You can absolutely transform a human being's life by entrusting. Now, you there's... Principles, there's processes, there are clear expectations and standards that need to be explained up front so that they can essentially take what you've entrusted to them and perform and produce the result that you want. But it begins with the trust and, and, and the impact on a human's soul when somebody like you, fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, entrusts them with work. So you can look across the spectrum. Where are opportunities for you to entrust even more important work to the staff? on your crew, the people on your team, they may be capable of way, 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 way more than you realize. And the only way to realize that is to entrust them with that work, to, to, to demonstrate to them how much you think of them in terms of what you believe they are capable of. Oh my gosh, the gift that is such a massive gift to somebody's soul, to their self worth, not to mention to their career and their future. So trust and trusting critical tasks and important work honoring your crew by giving them the opportunity to do more and more important work in your business. Now, number three, side work. Now, I've mentioned this to people sometimes and their heads literally explode at the thought of letting their employees do work on the side. Now, I happen to know for a fact in companies where this isn't permitted, it still happens. I have talked to so many fabricators who have discovered after the fact that they had employees selling jobs out from under them, coming in on the weekends and doing those jobs. I have talked to so many guys that have had, discovered this. It was going on. They didn't even realize it. I've had other people that just like aghast at the idea. They would never even entertain for a minute letting their employees come in and do work on the side. But I would like to present to you an alternative view. This is sort of like number two, trust and trusting. When you say to your employees, hey, I trust you guys. You're in there doing this work every day. You're out on my customers' job sites every day anyway. And you entrust to them the opportunity, a little bit of control, some degree, some semblance of control over their own destiny. You know, when you're working by the hour, you're limited by two things. You're limited by how much you can get paid by the hour, which is the boss's, you know, the one who's in control of that. And the number of hours that you've got, you may have a little bit of control over that, but not much When you give somebody the opportunity to do work on the side, to take a job, bid it themselves, use your equipment and your scraps or your remnants, or maybe slabs even, to do a job, let me me tell you a couple of massive benefits to this. Now, number one, I want to set this up with a story. The catalyst for me quitting in 1998 and going to work for myself, starting my own stone shop, really was... This isn't, wasn't side work related, but it, it was just one step removed from doing side work. The management of the company had talked about doing a profit sharing or a bonus program where there was some pay based on our merit, some pay based on our specific contribution where we could actually control. They talked it up, we discussed it, and then management was going to make the decision. Well, they came to us and they said, well, I hate to inform you that management decided that if they give you bonuses, it will reduce your incentive to come back into work the next day when you get this big lump sum of money. And I was so offended by that. The lack of trust was so offensive to me. That was literally the last straw. And I'll never forget. I, I stormed out of that meeting room. I went out on the back into the boneyard. I sat down onto this old weathered A-frame with some remnants. And I called my dad and I said, dad, it was the last straw. I just, they, are, they, they, they have so little trust in us that they have dangled this incentive, this bonus program, and now they've yanked it away because they don't trust us. I said, I'm done. And it was very, very, very shortly after that, I tur- like probably days, I turned in my two weeks notice and I went into business for myself. So now the power of side work is very similar. Over the years, the entire course of the 23 years that I owned my stone shop, I not only allowed and permitted side work, I encouraged it. I was very, very pleased because, you know, you can only pay your employees so much. And what is a huge risk? Highly skilled, you know, employee, them getting tempted, them getting a job offer for 50 cents for a buck or two bucks an hour going somewhere somewhere else. And if, if, if you can't afford to pay them any more than you're already paying them, huge, huge, huge bonus is to give them the opportunity to do jobs on the side. It doesn't cost you anything. In fact, it, it, it creates a massive amount of loyalty and appreciation for you that you're willing to entrust the shop, the tools, the equipment, the materials, and the customers. So that, that's number one. Number two, interesting, most of the Portland shops, oh boy, the company I worked for, there are so, the company I worked for before I went into business for myself, was the catalyst for so many other people like me who got so frustrated and infuriated by the management style there they went out and started their own companies. Now, I was in business for 23 years here in Portland, and I did not have one single solitary employee ever go out and start their own company. Here's why I think that was the case. Because I encourage side work, and very oftentimes we'd have people calling, "Hey, I need this vanity. I need it by next week." We were like, "We can't do. We don't have time. We're already, you know, backed up." So the overflow, we would routinely. Our estimator had a little system where the managers would be given the opportunity, "Hey, here's a vanity. Hey, here's a small kitchen. Hey, here's a project. Here's whatever. We don't have time to do it. We're going to either have to pass on it, but we can take care of this customer." Kind of everybody wins. The customer wins. The employees win, and the company wins by having the employees do that work on the side. It's not like I can make you work overtime. You can only require so much of that from somebody. But boy, when you give them the opportunity to be out on their own, to make that money themselves, to put a little money in their pocket, you know, instead of making 25 bucks an hour, they can go make 50, 75, 100 bucks an hour if they do things right, if they quote it right, if they do a good job. Now, here's what I mean about not creating competition. I heard this so many times from my employees just like you and me, fellow fabricator, you get these crazy customers every now and then and you go, I got to get out of this business. I can't take one more customer like that. And I used to hear that routinely, frequently. They'd take on a side job and it would be one of those customers and they would – and that was one of the criteria. Is like, hey, look, at the end of the day, you got to take care of the customer. If you underbid it, that's your problem. You know, if things go wrong, it's your problem. That's part of the risk. You know, you get the reward. It's the big payday. If everything goes right, yeah, maybe you'll make 100 bucks an hour. But if you quote it wrong – if you break something, you measure it wrong, you you know, whatever the case may be, and you don't, you know, you don't do it right, and it ends up costing you money, the only thing I ask is that you make it right for the customer, no matter what. And we'd have employees come back and go, That's the last side job I'm doing. I'm never doing another one of those. That was an absolute nightmare. Next side job, count me out. That happened all the time. And I have always suspected, I've always wondered. If the reason that we didn't have employees leave to go start competing shops as if we needed any more competition in the Portland market was because they had all the opportunity to do side work to satisfy that entrepreneurial itch, if you will, to scratch that itch or that, you know, taste that, get an idea of what it's like to go out on your own without any of the, uh, you know, the necessary (laughs) things that go along with that, like quitting your job, all of your security goes away and you've got to go spend money and you may, it may not work out, they can kind of dip their toe in the water to see what it's like to be an entrepreneur, see what it's like to be a small business person. And most, well, I would say most of them had experiences where they're like, Aaron, I don't know how you do this. Every day, you deal with this kind of craziness? Yeah, every day. So side jobs have multiple benefits. Number one, it benefits the employee. It allows them to create some wage potential, some, some, some income increase that they may not be able to get. You may not be able to pay them any more per hour than you're already paying them. You may not be able to give them any more overtime because you're at your budget. But, man, if you've got a vanity job that comes through here or a little island job that comes through that you just can't take care of, man, pass that off to the crew. They're already running your equipment as it is. Why not let them come in on their own time and do a little work on the side? There was a season where we did charge basically, I don't remember what the percentage was. It might have been 25% just for... Fuel in the trucks, lights, you know, the utilities when they're running the shop at night, diamonds, you know, glues, razor blades, that kind of thing. We did that kind of off and on over the years, and it just depended on how much time I had and how much I wanted to get in the middle of it. For the most part, we just let them them do it. And in the long run, never had a single solitary employee ever go start a competing shop, and I think it was because they had the opportunity to control their own destiny. They got a taste of it, and they're like, no, thank you. So that's number three, side work, the gift of side work, opening up your shop, fellow fabricator, and letting them, uh, letting them have some control over their own financial destiny. Now let's talk about vision, mission, and values. So let me ask you a question. If you were to ask your employees this question, what would they say? Why does this company exist? Now if I, perhaps I was to ask them that question in private. Why do you think... The company you work for exists. What do you think they would say? Well, one of my favorite all-time quotes in this regard is that, and I don't know, I've, I've, I've looked for the, uh, the author of this quote, have never been able to find it, but it is a fantastic quote. And here's the quote. In the absence of conscious thought, the subconscious prevails. Now, you've possibly heard me say that here on the Fab Lab podcast, but in the absence of conscious thought, The subconscious prevails. And why is that relevant to this issue, this gift of vision, mission, and values? Well, here's why. If you're not telling your employees why the company exists... Now, you might think, isn't it obvious it's so that I can have a business and they can have a job? Isn't it obvious so that we can make countertops for the customer? I mean, isn't it obvious? Well, it may be obvious to you. But again, in the absence of conscious thought, the subconscious prevails. So if you're assuming that they're going to conclude the things you think they're going to conclude, if you think they're going to come to the same conclusion that you have come to, if you think that somehow by osmosis or telepathy, they have figured out why you started this company and what it is that motivates you to run it. If you haven't told them, then the subconscious prevails. I asked a group of business owners. It wasn't even in the stone industry. It was a completely different industry. I gave a talk called The Map to Full Potential. And I remember the first time I ever did this with a live audience. It was very powerful, very powerful. But I asked this question. It was a series of questions. How many of you, and it was talking about mission, vision, and values, how many of you drive nicer cars? This is a whole huge conference full of business owners. How many of you drive nicer cars than your employees? Everybody's hands go up. Okay, interesting. How many of you live in nicer homes than your employees? Again, all the hands go up. How many of you take longer vacations than your employees are able to afford to take? Again, a whole bunch of hands went up. So I just stopped right there and I said, if I was to ask this question of your employees, what do you think they would say? Why does this business exist? And I can remember watching the audiences, the whole energy in the room changed. It was like this, this realization, oh my gosh. Well, they think that this company exists to serve me as the owner. Now that may be true in a sense that And there's nothing wrong with that. You've taken the risk, you've made the sacrifices, and you've given them a job. So obviously, you are entitled to the fruits of your labor and their labor as long as you're paying them according to your agreements. But absent a vision, a mission, and a value, understanding why your company exists, you you are preventing your company from reaching its fullest potential. When employees understand, when they have a picture of the future of why the company exists beyond your material well-being, beyond you driving nice rigs, beyond you owning a nice house or a vacation house, beyond you taking longer vacations, beyond you having a schedule that is much more flexible than theirs is, when they realize that the company exists for something bigger than your materialism or mine, It's unbelievably powerful and it is unbelievably motivating. Human beings are desperate to contribute to something that is larger than themselves. And quite frankly, something that is larger than the material well-being of the boss. Yeah, it's nice to have a paycheck. Whoopee. There's a lot of jobs out there, especially in this economy. There's a lot of people looking for employees right now. And if You don't give them a reason if you haven't explained the fundamental underlying reason for the existence of the company, the picture of the future, the noble cause that your company seeks to essentially endeavor in, the aspiration that it is searching for, what it is seeking to become. The power of giving that vision and that mission and those values, those shared values to employees is absolutely unbelievable. It's such a massive gift when people realize And it will actually come back to benefit you as a business owner. When your employees realize that there is something far more at stake here, their motivation, their willingness to contribute, to sacrifice along with you, if it's just so that you can drive a nicer car, how motivated are they to come in and work overtime? If it's just so that you don't have to come in and deal with the problem, how motivated are they? How long-term are they going to be there beyond just their most immediate financial needs? So when you can give them the gift of a mission, a noble cause that your company is seeking, the mission, what is the picture of the future? What is it that we are becoming? And then the shared values, identifying, what are the values by which we all do business together? Man, it's such a powerful gift, the mission, vision, vision. And values, and now in the absence of that, you let them come to their own conclusions, and so you got to ask yourself that question: What do you think they are concluding if they look around, absent you telling them the mission and the vision and the shared values? You leave it up to them to draw their own conclusions. And most of the time, they're going to draw conclusions that aren't necessarily the most motivating (laughs) in terms of the well-being of the company and your financial well-being as the owner of the business. And so, number four, mission, vision, and values. Number five, the gift of a healthy and safe work environment. Now, you know we talked about this a little bit here. We did a series on safety. I'm just going to review it here. The gift of a safe working environment. For some of these people, they may not be able to get another job tomorrow. And so, in a sense... They may feel stuck working in your environment. Now, do you have an obligation? Do we have an obligation to create a safe working environment? And I would say, I think we have an obligation, but it's more than that. We have the opportunity to give the gift of a healthy and safe, a healthier and a safer work environment. That should be the pursuit. That should be the goal that that every one of us seeks to build, seeks to create the healthiest and safest work environment we can possibly create with the resources that we have at our disposal. And that's something to compete. You know, that's something to to, to hang your head on to say, Hey, yeah, our shop is way, way, way safer when it comes to silica. Our shop is way, way, way safer when it comes to material handling. Our shop is way, 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 way safer when it comes to installing safely. And what we expect our installers to sacrifice for their physical health in the field. And so Fellow fabricator, there is such a huge opportunity there beyond the compensation, beyond the career opportunities, beyond just the paycheck, having a safe work. The, the problem with silicosis, the problem with career you know, install-related injuries is they happen really slowly. Oftentimes people are experiencing the negative effects of the work and they don't realize it because the the, the consequences don't always show up immediately. And so they can be working, 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 thinking, hey, this must be a safe work environment. And it it doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And so I believe we have an obligation to create a safe and healthy work environment. And so the folks that do, that is such a huge gift. And so you may be thinking, oh, I don't really like talking about this subject. This is a conversation I'd rather not have. That may be an indication that you've got the opportunity to actively and purposefully work on and refine the health and the safety aspects of your stone shop. And that is a huge gift. And so if you have a thought of where you might be able to make some improvements, give your employees the gift of a healthier and safer work environment this Christmas, this New Year's, and as we head into uh, 2023. So now, Before we end this fantastic Christmas episode on the Fab Lab podcast, I want to mention a word from our sponsor. In the event that you have installers that don't have use of the no-lift install system and they are having to load those countertops physically by hand, they're having to unload them at the job site, put them on a sheetrock cart or a dolly, or worse, having to carry those things from the curb up the driveway, up the steps, down the hall and into the work area before they have to strain and lift and stretch and twist and reach and, you know, uh, sacrifice themselves to get those heavy and awkward countertops onto the cabinets. If you don't have a no lift install system, I would recommend you visit noliftsystem.com right away. As soon as you hear this, submit a form, reach out. There is still time between now and the end of the year to get a no lift install system where you can write it off. The Section 179 depreciation expense. I just read, actually, I just saw it. Larry Kudlow, Fox News Business Report. This new omnibus 1.7 million, million, that was like 50 years ago, $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill actually has removed the 100% depreciation incentive. And so at the end of this year, the beginning of the calendar year 2023, that goes away. So if you act now, you can get a no-lift. Perhaps. If you act fast enough, you can get a no-lift, and by depreciating it, you can knock the price of it down by about a third. You can save around two to 2,500 dollars on a no-lift install system simply by buying it before the end of the year and depreciating it fully on your taxes. That's a massive incentive. That's a massive opportunity for you to not only save some money, but to make the work safer and healthier for your installers out in the field. So visit NoLift System today. Now, fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, I am so glad that you tuned in for this Christmas episode, episode 156, the five best gifts for your employees, the five best gifts for stone workers, appreciation, trust, side work, a vision, with mission and values and a healthy and safe work environment. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Make sure you tune in next week for the next episode of the Fab Lab podcast. Until then, Merry Christmas and happy fabricating.